Welcome to the Tiproxy Method, creating confident learners. The Tiproxy Method uses a unique combination of breath work, brain body work, gratitude, and a clay-based program to affect the neuroplasticity of the brain in students. To help strengthen their mind-body connection, help them develop a growth mindset, and most importantly, trust and confidence in themselves. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. One way to support the Creating Confident Learners podcast is to leave a five-star review and written review anywhere you listen to it. Thanks so much, and let's get started. But what is interesting is that he has an internal motivation to do something again and better every time. Be sure to sign up for the foundation course. This course is here to support you, both parents and educators. It teaches the exact foundational tools I have used with students to increase focus, ease anxiety, and help raise confidence and self-esteem so that they can succeed in all areas of their lives, including academics. It's made into bite-sized digestible pieces to help you apply these tools right away. You know, it's normal for kids to get frustrated. It's normal to get frustrated in general, but it is also a skill to know how to deal with frustrations in general. Kids who act out need better tools to help them with their frustrations. The kids who go straight to negativity need better tools to help them with their frustrations. The kids who give up easily need better tools to help them. I have a new student this school year who is quite behind academically with his peers. But what is interesting is that he has an internal motivation until that something does become easy for him. So it's almost like every new skill I've asked. And again, I'm not asking for skills that are beyond his reach, but need more practice. And he'll do it once. That's what I wanted him to do. And he has this internal motivation, this drive to do it again, to feel confident and to show off that he's got it, which is a wonderful quality have. Like today we were working on being able to write the alphabet from memory. This helps with a whole bunch of academic skills, how to know and identify the English alphabet correctly, especially as we push into mid elementary. If they haven't mastered it yet, that is part of the struggle of reading. If they don't identify the letters correctly out of order at sight without the alphabet song backwards, forwards, and randomly that can affect the reading fluency as well. So we were writing the alphabet. I'm, I'm trying to get him just to know it on his own, the uppercase, and he did it fine. There's a little bit of, you know, scaffolding, but he was the one who wanted to do it again, which is a wonderful quality to see in students. But what I've also been noticing is that with this kid, He will act out when something feels too hard and it might not even be too hard for him, but he has already decided that it is too hard. So just today we started to look at money and he hasn't really had any exposure to this. This is something that they're working on in his classroom. So before I even explained what we were going to do, he just went straight and messed up all the, you know, play money, the manipulatives and he kind of threw the coins around everywhere. And when I was direct with him, hey, what are you doing? I know that this seems hard because I'd done it in class the day before and he was really struggling, but I'm here to help you. I'm going to help you with this. And just by being direct, 
he softened and was ready to learn. And I have found in general with boys, sometimes we just have to be direct, like, Hey, don't do that. And let's move on versus the, you know, the big explanations or discussions. Some kids do need that. And sometimes it's appropriate, but sometimes it's like, Hey, what are you doing? I know it seems hard, but we're going to work together. And especially when I'm like, I am here to help you. Usually his big puppy eyes are like, okay, we can do this because he had already experienced something negative around money and having to use that in the classroom setting the day before, you know, so there was an emotional trigger behind it. But this kid's go-to is to just mess up things before even hearing what we're doing because he has perceived that something is too hard when it's not. What is interesting about this day, we actually ended up playing, it was almost a made-up money game, working with the coins, right? The pennies, the nickels, the dimes, and the quarters into dollars. And we actually went all the way up to $50 with a little coin dice because that's what he wanted to do. That's what he was motivated to do. And I saw from the beginning, not knowing any any of those coins or their values to really knowing where to go for everything in such a short amount of time. And he really is able to stick to the task at hand when there's that internal drive, when there's that internal motivation. And something that he thought was too hard ended up being quite easy for him with enough exposure in the right type of task. I like to do with kids things over and over and over until the task is easy. Sometimes kids just need exposure to a new concept like money and playing with it. We actually ended up rolling a money dice that only had one cent, five cent, 10 cent, 25 cents, 50 cents, and a dollar. And we built up to $50 one roll at a time. So we spent over an hour on this and he was fully engaged. And I kept modeling and identifying the coins and values. And by the end, he was more familiar with with all the components of our monetary system that he wasn't, you know, familiar with before. And just by playing with money, there was more of a comfort with it and the idea and the concept. And the next time I saw him, he, we went straight into it, did the same thing. And there was none of that, you know, messing up the coins or behavior. It's like, yes, I want to do this. What is really interesting about this child in general, he's very curious about his surroundings too. So we talked about how there's only the $100 bills, but when we did a little research on Google, we found out there used to be a $500 bill and a $1,000 bill that are not in circulation anymore. And, you know, I really do appreciate how engaged he is. He wanted to know all the presidents um, or the people, not all of them are presidents on the money system. (laughs) But it makes me think about those highly distracted boys, the ones that have been labeled, right? Highly distracted can actually focus in on challenges. Like think about the boys, um, I'm generalizing in this case, but think about them with their video games. In this case, the money game that we played today where it was, we were super zoned in, a full hour went by, you know, really building up this skill in a money game sort of way. And oftentimes these hyperactive or highly distracted students actually just need more exposure to the material and the concept that they don't understand. And they're actually internally motivated in a way that some kids are not. So it's it's a little give and take. It's, it's almost like kids come with their own bag or levels. Like you think of Jumanji where they hit the, you know, the level thing and the, all their skills are up there with different academic skills, different natural talents, but also different levels of hyperactivity, different levels of focus, different levels of, you know, whatever their pros and cons are. And then we work from there. We, it's almost like they're, uh, they're, <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I just was thinking about that with the video game. But it's just interesting to think of us having all of our kind of almost like a, a bar graph of like what is easy for each of us and what is hard, especially in those terms of hyperactivity, focus, distraction, levels of distraction, and all those kind of things, negativity, anxiety, like we can, we're kind of tailoring to each child's like levels of these things. And you know, I know it's arduous when a child is still counting on their fingers or counting the spades on the cards, on both cards, not even counting up or counting the dots on the dice when playing math games or counting one-on-one objects and miscounting them. But we as adults cannot give them that knowledge. They need the practice themselves to make the connections to the one-on-one counting. You know, you have those kids who go one, they're counting blocks or cards or coins or whatever they're counting. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and you're like 15. And they just, you just have to expose them over and over a model, but they're the ones who physically need to use the manipulatives until they make the connections between the numbers, the math, the counting. You know, I play war with kids a lot of times and I'll start with adding war where they flip over two cards And, you know, oftentimes they start with counting both cards, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then they eventually learn to count up from the higher card. Okay, seven, eight, nine, ten, that's ten. And then eventually the math becomes automatic. But we cannot go in their brain and do the work for them. They have to go through the arduous process of counting the cards, counting the dice, counting on their fingers until they make the automatic connection. But I do often or always encourage them. I'm like, ooh, automatic math. <laughs> Let's go there. So we want kids to eventually be able to do the mental math as well. But they there is a process of how the brain and body learn. And, you know, miscounting objects is something that can be overcome with practice and repetition, just like counting out loud you know, by ones, by twos, by fives, them learning how to do that by threes, by fours, seven, sixes, and eights and nines, all the rest of their multiplication facts. But, you know, it's just they need as much practice as they need until the brain makes the correct synaptic connections. We model, we show, but we let them use their fingers until it becomes automatic. We let them, you know, something to get them off their fingers is touch math. So I definitely would Google that as well, (laughs) which uses the numbers themselves and the pencil tip for it to help them to make math more automatic. But eventually kids do get to automatic math and automatic knowing. A lot of kids know one plus one is two, five plus five is 10, you know, two plus two is four. So eventually they'll know that seven plus two is nine without having to count and think about it all. But this is just all the miscounting, the having to count objects physically using fingers. This is part of the learning process, but eventually they do make the connection to what the answer is. And that creates that automatic math that we're looking for, the internal number sense. And as much as we sometimes just want to tell them the answer, they need to make the mental connection and they need to actually know the answers for themselves. We are not there every moment in their life or in their classroom to do it for them. And we need these foundations foundational skills to be a part of them through whatever amount of exposure that they need to become critical thinkers, to become self-confident thinkers, 
and to figure it out for themselves doing the whole process. <laughs> and it, sometimes it takes, you know, that 101 times of practice to really get it. But in order to make the connection, they have to have enough repetition to make the knowledge permanent for them. We can use tools to get help kids get off their fingers like touch math. So touch math is a really great way. I'll explain a couple of the numbers. So if you write out one, two, three, four, and five, each number has touch points to the amount that that number represents. So one has a touch point on the top of the one, two has it on one and two. So if a kid doesn't know what one plus two is, they could touch the point on the number one, one, and then count up on the two, two, three, and know the answer of one plus two is three. So touch math is a great bridge from counting on fingers, counting, you know, objects to making that mental connection to the numbers themselves and their values and how to manipulate them with the four operations, the four major things that we do with numbers, adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. I have another student who gets frustrated very easily when something doesn't come easily. He has almost a photographic memory and his number sense and mental math math is insane, but like insane in a good way. He just knows most of them. He can, he's like a human calculator is really the way I think of it sometimes. But when something doesn't make sense right away, he gets fresh easily and just complains and gives up. So just recently we have been starting that process of the brain body connection, the neuromuscular connection of cursive and cursive has a very specific direction of each letter. Some letters don't look like the print version. Then the first day we worked on cursive together, just learning a few of the alphabets, a few of the letters of the alphabet. He really got frustrated just because it was something so new. The brain body and again, fine motor skills is a little bit more of a challenge for this child, but it's interesting. The first day was really hard. The second day was, you know, still challenging. And by the third day, he was more open seeing that he could figure out the hand movements of cursive and wasn't giving up so easily. So we're still working on that. But that frustration, that, you know, quick draw to complaining or giving up, like that's what we want to get rid of. That's why the gratitude, the breath work. And I was noticing for the kids I've had for a while, they go into the three grateful things and the breath work almost like a ritual. We're creating a space. We're oxygenating the brain. We're building up this reservoir of resistance to adversity through positivity, through calming the nervous system, where then we can actually use our time better than if we were to not create this container, this space, this ritual of really, I'm always going to say those are my two go-tos, breathing and gratitude, actually in the other order, gratitude and breath work really, really are game changers. And again, those are in the foundation course. They're very easy. I use two very simple breath works. There's all kinds of different ones, but the two that I have picked, actually the three that I go in depth in the course um, really have been game changers over time. But again, with all these kids who tend to default to complaints or default to frustration or default to giving up when things are hard. Luckily, we have started to and have made a container of positivity and being able to reframe things and working through things together to get those banks of successes, right? When kids have success after success after success, it doesn't matter if it's big or small, their self-esteem 
rises, their confidence rises. But our work together is often focusing on not giving up, reframing that frustration when it comes up, working through, persevering through the tough things. And so recently learning cursive has been a point of frustration for this child. And it's literally a new mind-body connection. There are specific hand movements to create the symbols of each letter which is different. It's like a new skill. Like, I don't think we really remember what it's like to learn print. And then, but cursive is almost, I think all of us kind of have that memory. I remember it and just, you know, it being this arduous task, I did enjoy it, but it was just something that, you know, you had to practice and practice and practice. So there are these hand movements to create the symbols of each letter. And on top of that, again, some of these letters look completely different than their print version. And so it's learning something both new, like new hand movements to create these new symbols and learning the new meaning of new symbols or the meaning of new symbols and then connecting them in their loopy loop connection points, right? Especially the hard top connections. But one thing for the brain, which is really good, I tend to like to personally use print and writing, but one benefit of learning cursive is yes, you can see when the older kids that mind body connection, that learning something new. It's like when you learn a new sports move, learn how to do a new, you know, sewing, (laughs) a new sewing skill, something that uses your body in a way that you're not used to, maybe learning how to skateboard or ride a bike. But what happens with which is really good for kids brains with cursive in particular is each word is connected. And then there's a space for the new word. So it really does help the brain almost subconsciously zone in on, you know, words themselves, like these letters make this word, these letters make this word, as long as they understand the new symbols of cursive. I mean, think about a old school Q in capital Q in cursive doesn't look like anything except a two. And, you know, some of my favorites like F, lowercase F. Again, with all these frustrations that I've been noticing in the last few weeks, and again, kids tend to struggle at two points consistently in the school year. About a couple months in, things start to be hard. They start to drop the ball. There's the lack of, you know, motivation or freshness of a new school year. It's the pace of the class. They're noticing the gaps in their knowledge. And then again, kind of around mid-February in the second semester, kids tend to show that they're struggling. So maybe the first semester, the new information wasn't out of reach with their knowledge base and their tools and their skills. But then the second semester, these new things come through. But again, I often with kids who get frustrated, and I I always, you know, remind kids in general of this, that it takes practice to make something easeful, especially in learning a new math concept, learning new cursive skills or cursive in general, or learning to type or something that they don't know. I do not expect them to get it right in the first try. And, you know, like with all these frustrations or having to have conversations of not expecting a child to get something the very first time they see it or try it, I wonder where they were taught or we were taught that they should get something right in the first try. Is it the parents? Is it school? Is it society? Are we a failure if we don't get something the first time we've ever tried it 
or seen it. Like it's so interesting to me to see how kids give up so easily, get frustrated so easily, get critical of themselves when they don't get it the first time or the first day. Like that's not how new information is learned. And we have to definitely unwind that expectation and know that with practice, things become easeful. We can't get to the hundredth try if we don't even try the first time. And of course, the hundredth take or podcast is going to be better than the first. I just listened to recent episode a couple weeks ago, and then I listened to my very first episode and I was shocked that in less than a year there is a contrast in the two episodes a bigger contrast than I would expect in less than a year's time so again with practice comes ease with practice comes proficiency so we have to not let frustration or lack of perseverance or giving up or criticism like shut us down or shut kids down Um, we know as adults, hopefully that this is not the case. And yet oftentimes we ourselves are super harsh on ourselves for not getting something in the time that we deemed we should. So again, we want to use tools like breath work and gratitude so that whenever frustrations come up, which is inevitable, whenever obstacles come up in our own lives and our students' lives, that we have some tools to overcome, to stick with it, and to persevere. Be sure to sign up for the foundation course. This course is here to support you. It teaches the exact foundational tools I have used with students to ease anxiety and help raise confidence and self-esteem so that they can succeed in all areas of their lives, including academics. It's available as a one-time purchase or as an ongoing monthly subscription with extra group support and monthly live stream. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter to stay in contact. Keep up with the Creating Confident Learners community on Instagram and Facebook at Creating Confident Learners. Have a blessed day and aloha.